Good morning, Bettendorf Christian Church family. It is so good to see all of you both in person, and thank you for those of you joining us on live. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit out of breath. I love that song. In fact, it's probably my favorite song right now. I love the words. I love what it says. I love what it's about. And unfortunately, I'm a little winded now. Um, I was playing the air guitar backstage, actually. You know, there's that part that goes, bum, 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 bum. And so, yeah, I'm a little sweaty. I actually tried to drink my water, and I just spilt it everywhere. So I'm a little rattled at the moment. Get it? Oh, boom. All right. So listen, my name is Barry Steiner. I'm the family and student minister here at BCC. And if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, go ahead and get those ready. Open up to Matthew chapter 16 as we prepare to get started this morning. Today we're once again going to be looking at this series, Are We There Yet? Where we've been asking you to really evaluate where you are at in your personal growth journey, your spiritual growth journey And uh, this morning, we want to continue looking at this spiritual young adult stage. And I want to dive right into it, if we could. So this morning, no spoilers. We're just, we're giving it all to you right here at the beginning. You know, we're not going to make you wait. Um, I'm, I'm just straight from the top. Here we go. You ready? Note takers have those pens, pencils, writing utensils ready. If you type into your phone, get your fingers warmed up. Spiritual young adults need the following things, okay? So here's their needs. They need help in finding an appropriate ministry that they can serve within the church. They need a spiritual parent who will talk with them about ministry experience. They also need um, ongoing relationships with other believers that will offer them encouragement and hold them accountable in their lives, They need help establishing healthy boundaries for their own personal life. They need to know what it is to serve. Remember, Derek, last week, he told us that, you know, these are the excited group. They they want to get involved in ministry, so they start signing up for every ministry that they can possibly be involved in, and sooner or later, they start to realize that they're infringing on their own personal time with God and even their family life. They also need guidance regarding uh, the appropriate expectations of of the people who they will be serving. They need assistance in identifying their spiritual gifts. And finally, they need help navigating complex ministry situations. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you some direction in how to fulfill each one of these needs that I just mentioned to you. Now, throughout this series, we've, we've told you that we've been using Jim Pumpman's book, Real Life Discipleship, and as I was flipping through it this week and trying to prepare this message, just came across a short story that he shares, and this is what he said. He says, not long ago, I was talking to this man from a, another church who made it clear that he viewed the church that he attended as his church. Okay, his church. This man had been there long before the current minister, and so he felt that his tenure there gave him this permission um, and entitled him to critique everything in the church. He said, this rock and roll singing in the service has got to stop, he said. Um, The list that he had went on and on. Things like kids wearing hats inside and people smelling like cigarette smoke and not being able to remember everyone's name because the church had started to grow. Putnomi goes on and he says, everything on this list, it seemed rooted in this man's desire for his own personal comfort. 
He made no mention of his concern for other people. And he had no report of how he himself had actually been serving in the church. Ministry was a foreign concept to him. Though he'd been a church member for many, many years, this was a spiritual child because he had never really grown spiritually. Now Derek shared with us last week that as disciples, we should continue being effective and fruitful as we grow ourselves into maturity. So today I want to share that growth from spiritual childhood to spiritual young adulthood, it happens in the context of ministry. So if you're in this stage right here, if you are stuck in this spiritual child stage, the way to move to become a young adult, a spiritual young adult, is to get involved in ministry. Because it's a transformational process that, that comes from connecting to God's greater purpose for our lives. God challenges us and he convicts us. He convicts his disciples, his people, to realize that he's calling us to a life that is so much bigger than our own personal comfort and preferences. It's not all about us. It's about him. Jesus shows us that we need to change from being self-focused to being genuinely concerned and to caring about the needs of others. So, again, one of the characteristics we see of a spiritual child is they're self-centered. But as we become more and more ministry-oriented, we move into this young adult stage and our focus becomes God and others-focused. And the way we do this, like I said, is by getting involved in ministry because ministry it can help our hearts change from the child stage up into the young adult stage. Now, as spiritual parents who are intentional leaders in our lives, as they model service and they model ministry in their own lives, God will start to prompt and stir in the hearts of those who are spiritual children. And they, we start to look at our own, um, we start to look, I'm sorry, beyond our own needs. Disciples must be willing to move beyond their own comfort to value the needs of the lost and the hurting world around us. So the key to becoming a spiritual young adult, catch this, is to become God-centered and others-focused. A true disciple learns to deny self and rely on God. Have you ever considered what Jesus was saying to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16? Verses 24 through 25, I ask you to open there. And so find verses 24 and 25 and read this with me. Jesus is saying to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Jesus is saying that his disciples must take up their cross. And this must have seemed very strange to his disciples back in that day because back then, in Jesus' day, the cross, it was a symbol of suffering and it was a symbol of shame. And I want you to think this morning about what Jesus did as he prepared to go to that cross. What happened to him? What happened to him before, during, and as he was hung onto that cross? Remember that it says, Scripture tells us that he was stripped of his clothing that he was beaten, that he was mocked, that he was spit upon, that he had a crown of thorns driven into his skull. And after he had endured all of this pain and all of this humility, 
they strapped this beam, the horizontal beam of the cross, which most scholars tell us weighed between 100 or right around 125 pounds, and that was strapped to his back and to his shoulders that had just been beaten. Bones, ribs, exposed, bloody, and Jesus took that on. You know, it's no wonder that Scripture says he had a difficult time as he tried to navigate these narrow roads, the Via Dolorosa, which means the way of suffering. And when Jesus finally got to his final destination and he was nailed to the cross, that cross was hung and he hung there for us. He took our sin, took our shame upon him, and he died. Listen, taking up your cross and following Jesus can and will bring pain and suffering. You can't carry a cross without suffering. The biblical reality here is that when people say yes to following Jesus, they are agreeing to denying themselves and carrying a cross. And that can be painful at times. There are a number of scriptures that do more than hint at the fact that if you're following Jesus, it absolutely is going to cost you something. Luke 6, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians 1.29, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I want you to understand, I share these passages this morning to say that following Jesus was never about our preferences. It was never about our needs or our own personal level of comfort. So here's the question that each and every one of us that call ourselves Christ followers this morning that we need to be asking. It's this, am I really carrying the cross if there is no suffering and sacrifice? Am I really carrying a cross if there is no suffering and sacrifice? When is the last time that following Jesus actually cost you something? When is the last time that it cost you a relationship? When is the last fo- time that, that following Jesus cost you a promotion? When's the last time maybe it cost you a vacation? When's the last time you were mocked for your faith? Let's, let's not even talk about being killed for your faith or having your life threatened. When's the last time you were mocked because of your faith? When's the last time that you yourself went out of, with that, with, you went without a meal for the sake of the gospel? Can you really say that you're carrying your cross if it hasn't cost you anything? You know, if there's no sacrifice involved, if you're not at least in a little bit of discomfort, then you're, there's a good chance that you're not carrying a cross. Because Jesus makes it clear here that following him means taking up your cross and denying yourself. That's what, a, that's what a believer, that's what a follower is committing to. This is how we move from being a spiritual child to being a spiritual young adult and then eventually being able to move up to the spiritual parent stage. One of my favorite communicators of the gospel, he's a 
speaker and a, an author. He's a guy by the name of Kyle Eidelman, and he wrote a book many of you are familiar with. It's called Not a Fan, but in that book, he shares this story. He says, a few years ago, I was pretty deep into some tribal areas of Africa, and one night I had just finished preaching to a crowd of a few dozen people. He said, I presented the gospel and then the invitation that Jesus gave to follow him. And there were these two young men, probably in their 20s, who accepted Christ that night and committed to follow him. God goes on to say, he says, the following afternoon, these two same men, they showed up at the house where we were staying, and each one of them was carrying a rather large bag over their shoulder. He said, so I went over to the local missionary who we were staying with, and I, I asked him why these two men were there, and he explained to me that these two men would no longer be welcome in their homes or in their village. Kyle said, when I heard that, I was afraid that maybe this was going to be more than what they were bargaining for, more than what they were willing to actually go along with. The missionary must have sensed what Kyle was thinking because about that time he said, listen, Kyle, he said they knew that this would happen when they made this decision. These men, they were choosing Jesus. They were choosing Jesus over their own families. They were choosing Jesus over their own comfort and convenience. True disciples are willing to deny themselves and say these words, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over my career goals because I am completely his. I choose Jesus over getting drunk. I choose Jesus over redecorating my house. I choose Jesus over my own personal freedom. I choose Jesus over what other people may begin to think about me. A disciple makes a decision every day to deny himself or herself and choose Jesus, even if it costs everything. This is all about becoming God-centered. It's about becoming others-focused. It's about moving from be being a spiritual child to becoming a spiritual young adult. So what do spiritual young adults need in order to mature and actually become spiritual parents? What does a young child need to do to become a young adult? Well, the rest of the morning, we're going to focus right here. And this is what each person needs to do and, and be. They need to be trained in how to minister. Each and every one of us, if we want to mature in our lives, we need to be trained in how to minister. Spiritual young adults need to be trained. Spiritual parents, you need to be the one doing the training. In the time that we have remaining this morning, I want to show you that all spiritual young adults can be trained to minister by being, number one, equipped for ministry, secondly, provided ministry opportunities, and finally, by being released to do ministry. Now, if you don't get all that, we will put that back up in a second. So let's begin with equipping them for ministry, the first step. So the intentional leader or the spiritual parent trains disciples to serve and to develop attitudes and behaviors of a spiritual young adult. You know, sadly, a lot of churches, they often rely on Bible colleges or, or seminaries to equip people for, for ministry. Yet all Christians are called to ministry regardless of their formal education. 1 Peter um, 4.10 and 11, Peter tells us this. He says, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God, that the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I hope you caught these key words. Did you see them? It says, each one of you. It says, anyone. Ministry is something that should be done by everyone, by anyone. And make it personal, it should be done, it says, by you. Yes, there are some of us here who've gone to Bible college. There are some of us who've been to seminary. But listen, this is why we come to church. This is why we get involved and we have people mentor us and teach us and train us in how to become more and more faithful to what God has called us to do. Listen, if we just limit ministry to those who have formal training, we're forcing a real majority of our congregation to just sit in the spiritual nursery and suck their thumb. It's time to grow up. And God-centered service is the key difference between spiritual children and spiritual young adults. I once came across this story about this doctor, a gentleman by the name of Scott Kurtzman. He was the chief um, surgeon at Waterbury Hospital. And one morning, it was about 8 a.m., he was on his way to deliver um, basically some some training on uh, medicine and he witnessed one of the worst crashes in Connecticut state history. A dump truck um, essentially had, the driver had lost control and it had flipped on its side and it actually skidded into oncoming traffic. There were around 20 cars that were involved in this pileup and unfortunately four people were killed in the accident. But Kurtzman immediately shifted into trauma mode. He shifted into doctor mode. He, wor- he, he worked his way through the crowd. He went through this, this mess of bodies and, and metal, and he started to cry out, you know, who needs help? Does anyone need help? And about 90 minutes later, when about 16 victims had been triaged and taken to area hospitals, Kurtzman, he finally climbed back into his car, he drove down to the medical center, to the medical school, and he gave his lecture that morning two hours late. Over the years, Kurtzman said that he has stopped at a half a dozen crashes and he's actually assisted medically at three of them. And this is what he says, and this is what I want you to hear. He says, a person with my skills simply can't drive by someone who's injured. I refuse to live my life that way. This morning, I want us to understand that God has gifted each and every one of us for ministry. And there are those that we know whose lives are an absolute wreck by now, or right now. They've been wounded and they've been hurt by the circumstances of life. They've been beaten down. And we just can't drive by somebody who's been injured. We should refuse to live our lives that way. So we all need to learn how to minister We need to be equipped and prepared to be used by God when he presents us with an opportunity for service and for ministry. So what do spiritual young adults need to be equipped with? Well, here we go. They need to know how to defend the gospel. They need to be taught how to discern when to speak and when to be silent and whether or not someone is really seeking the gospel. 
They need to be taught the basic information about apologetics, which is essentially learning how to defend your faith. It's important that they understand how to talk about faith without trying to argue faith into somebody. But they also need to know how to refute the basic attacks against Christianity. They need to be given an overview of the basic variations of evangelical Christianity, charismatic, non-charismatic, and so on. They need to be taught the key doctrines of the Christian faith and how to explain those doctrines accurately. They need to have help discerning between salvation issues and non-salvation issues. They need to be given an overview of common cults and what those cults believe and what they teach. They need an explanation of how to answer complex questions such as, why do bad things happen? You know, young adults, they also need to learn what it means to work with and under the leadership of the church. They need help understanding how their church works as a whole. You know, what is the church's mission? What's the church's vision? What does it mean to become a church member? Um, You know, what do I do? What's a first step class? They need to be taught what it means to be accountable to church leadership. They also need help understanding the bigger picture of ministry, which is reaching your city, your nation, and the world. I don't know about you, I just gave you a lot of information right there, right? And that can feel overwhelming, amen? Well, I want you to know, listen, you're not expected to learn these things overnight. It takes time to learn. And this is one of the reasons that we've tried to put together some of these foundational five core classes that we've, we've been teaching. And, and some of you have already been involved in that. And we have another class that just started today. We have classes that will be starting up in the, the future. And I would encourage you to get involved. If you, if you weren't able to make the first couple, they're going to come around again. The, the thing is, though, as disciples, we constantly need to be learning and growing in our faith. Listen, I'm giving you about a 35-minute message this morning. I can't tell you everything you need to know in that time. You're not going to go home right after this sermon and put all these things into place. You have to continue to learn and and allow a, a more mature believer to speak into you and help you through these steps. You know, not only do spiritual young adults need to know the word and key doctrines and how to answer and questions and defend the faith, they need to know how to do it all with a humble heart. You know, the right answer given in the wrong way can sometimes be the wrong answer. Does that make sense? So we have to learn how to do it with humbleness. Uh, Spiritual young adults, they also need to be taught how to be disciplined and how to be responsible. They need to be encouraged to give glory to God for whatever is accomplished. Uh, Do you realize when something good happens, it's not because of us? It's because of God and the workings of the Holy Spirit You know, they need to be encouraged to follow through on their commitments. If they say they're going to do something, hold them to it. Keep Keep them accountable to it. They need to be encouraged to be lifelong learners. They need to be encouraged to be financially obedient. And they need to be encouraged to structure their lives so that they will have time to serve and do ministry. This is important because they also, during that time, need to learn how to keep appropriate boundaries in place to protect their own personal time and protect time with their family. Like Derek spoke last week, again, this is the group that gets really excited. 
They want to be involved in everything. And listen, it's, just, it's impossible. You can't do it all. Jesus himself, he taught us that it's okay to say no to certain things. Jesus himself, he would withdraw so he could have time of rest and so he could spend time himself with his father. And we need to be able to do the same thing. Otherwise, we'll burn out. And so we need to learn what the appropriate boundary is to serve, but to also have time with God and to have time with our family. Spiritual young adults, they also need to be equipped with the knowledge that they will face disappointment. You know, it's important that spiritual adults, they're aware of these potential pitfalls a disciple might fall into while serving in ministry because it's possible to feel like a failure because nobody noticed that you were even serving. It's possible to lose motivation because nobody took the time to say thank you. It's possible to be hurt because somebody was very critical of what you did. It's possible to want to quit because your efforts didn't measure up to what others had already been doing. You know, it's possible to be surprised because people, it always seems, have different expectations of what they want from you. You know, I've seen volunteers and I've seen paid staff leave the church and ministry altogether over this kind of disappointment. And I think it's important to understand that Jesus himself, he prepares his disciples for extreme rejection. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So spiritual young adults, they need to find their security in their connection with God. Even when nobody else notices, God sees what they're doing out of their love for him and their love for others. When nobody says thank you, or when people even criticize you in your ministry, Jesus said that God gives heavenly rewards. And I think when disciples understand this, they're less likely to be discouraged. I want you to know that disappointment is inevitable. But if young adults, if disciples are trained to expect resistance and even thanklessness, they're reminded that they serve God and not people, their disappointments will not stop them from doing ministry. So remember, the first thing that we can do to train spiritual young adults for ministry is equip them for ministry. Now the second thing that we need to do for these spiritual adults to train them into ministry, is provide them ministry opportunities. Intentional leaders, again, when I'm saying intentional leaders, I'm talking about spiritual parents. What they do is they have to give disciples, they have to give young adults, they have to give children a place to grow, to serve, to mature um, um, in their stage of, of their development, where they're at. And in Luke 9, we see Jesus sending his disciples out. He's, he's sending them out to preach the gospel to the neighboring villages. And it says this in Luke 9, 1 through 6. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
So they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. If we skip down to verse 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to the town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. What we see here is that the disciples proclaimed the message everywhere they were allowed to do so. They served people by healing their illnesses and by casting out demons. But Jesus didn't just leave them to minister alone because they still needed his coaching. It says when they returned to him, he listened to their report of what they had done. So Jesus, he provided multiple ways all throughout his ministry for his disciples to be involved, to participate in his ministry. Sometimes he would send them out to help others, to heal others, to cast out demons. Sometimes they served food to the crowd. Other times he sent them out to preach publicly. What I want you to see is he allowed his disciples to actually get into the game. He didn't simply teach them and then expect them to just sit on the bench and continue to learn. No, he actually let them out there to play a little bit. You know, a great illustration, a good example that I saw um, kind of describing how we can do this, how we can train, um, is out of the medical profession. And uh, it's based on this doctor who reported the phrase that was used in his medical training was see one, do one, and teach one. And so in other words, what he would do is his training began with him watching a procedure. So that was the C one. He watched. Next, he was allowed to participate in the procedure, but he was under supervision, and that was called do one. Okay? So participating is do one. And then finally, as he became experienced and he began doing procedures on his own, he then began teaching other people how to do it. So teach one. See one, do one, teach one. Now, a spiritual young adult will grow in ministry if we approach it with the same type of system. You know, it can work in leading a life group, in teaching a Sunday school class or a Bible study, helping out in our student or our children's ministry, leading a service project, going on a mission trip, visiting a hospital. If we want to use an example, let's just look at what it would look like here to see one, do one, teach one in the leading a life group. So in the see one step, what we do is this. You would invite a spiritual young adult to see how you prepare for that meeting. And then they would watch you teach the lesson. The do one step is then to invite that same spiritual adult back, basically to lead your group meeting while you supervise. And then you step out and you let them do it on their own. And the final step, the teach one step, is you would invite that same spiritual adult then to show another person in the group the same process, how to prepare and lead a group meeting. Spiritual young adults need to know how to do ministry. They need to learn how to lead their families and they need to learn how to work with spiritual infants. How to effectively serve both within the church and outside the church and, and how to lead a small group. Again, what we want young adults to be able to do is start to recognize who spiritual children are and who spiritual infants are and be able to come and start to do these things in their life as they are being parented. It's a process, it's a chain. 
Throughout my lives, I've had mentors. I've had mentors in ministry, youth ministry, all kinds of ministry. And it's allowed me then to go and invest what I've learned from those more mature people into people who are less spiritually mature than I am. We're all on different levels. And we need to be able to pour into those who are below us. Listen, spiritual young adults must learn to be intentional in their caring for others. We want them to shepherd on purpose and with purpose. So remember, the second thing we can do to train spiritual young adults for ministry is provide them with ministry opportunity. And very quickly, the third and final thing we need to do to train spiritual young adults for ministry is we need to release them to minister. We need to release them to do their ministry. So releasing disciples for ministry, it helps prepare the disciples to lead. They must be given more and more responsibility and authority because it's only then when we're given that responsibility, when we're given that authority, we begin to take ownership of that ministry. It's during that time that we become more confident and we become less and less dependent on the spiritual parent. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul does for Timothy. You know, as Paul's releasing Timothy out to do ministry, he gives him these words of encouragement. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul's words are for every disciple maker. They're for all of us. We don't pour our lives into disciple makers to send them up into the stands to watch. No, what we do is we encourage them to get into the game. Spiritual young adults will still need coaching, but they're free to minister. They're still going to need encouragement. They're still going to need the guidance of an intentional leader, but they're free to do ministry. So just a quick recap of this morning. Spiritual young adults can be trained to minister by being equipped for ministry, provided ministry opportunities, and then released to do that ministry. So this morning, If you feel like you're in this spiritual child stage and you're ready to move up to become a spiritual young adult, remember that growth from spiritual childhood to spiritual adulthood, it happens in the context of you getting involved in serving and getting involved in ministry. So if you're not currently involved in ministry, it is time to get connected. It's time to begin serving and listen, a great way to get started is just by going out to Serve Central in our commons. You go out, you go past the kitchen and you take a left and it's hanging right there on the walls. And if I can just tell you, every ministry of our church needs volunteers right now. Every ministry of our church needs somebody to step up. You also need to find a spiritual parent. You need to find somebody who's more mature than you that can speak into your life. You need somebody that can mentor you, can love you, and can show you how to get through life. Spiritual parents, if I'm speaking to you up here, you need to be able to identify those who are in these stages. You need to be able to identify who a young adult is. And you need to come alongside of them. And you need to invest in their spiritual growth. If you're currently a life group leader or you teach a Bible class or a Sunday school class, Is there someone in your group that you see ministry potential in? If so, it's time to teach them how to do ministry. See one, do one, teach one. You know, in closing, I had the opportunity to do a funeral this past week. And 
for a church member of ours who had passed away. And it seems like every time I speak at a funeral or I just attend one, it seems to really put life into perspective for me. It makes me think about how I am personally living my own life, what I'm doing with the time that God has given me, what I'm doing in ministry, how I'm being God-centered and others-focused. Life is so short. We need to get busy living for Jesus. We need to get into the game. Remember, he's called all of us. If we're his disciple, if we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, he's asked us to take up our cross daily and to follow him. And like I said earlier, taking up your cross and following Jesus, it can and it will bring pain and it will bring suffering. You can't carry a cross without suffering, without giving up your selfishness and without giving up your personal desires. But it is so worth it. And as we think about the cross this morning, we need to slow down and we need to reflect on Jesus. We need to think about his death and his burial and resurrection. We need to think about the fact that when he went to that cross, he took our guilt, he took our sin, and he took our shame upon him. And when he died, and he was put into that tomb, and as we celebrated in that song this morning, as he rose again, Man, that gives us the hope. It gives us the promise of eternal life. And so we're going to take a moment. We're going to move into a time of communion. And I'm going to say a prayer right now. And as I do, we're going to give you time to reflect and to thank Jesus for what he did on the cross for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that, Lord, he's called us to serve him. He's given us this incredible responsibility, this incredible charge, Lord. He wants to use us. And so, Father, if we're stuck in this spiritual child stage, I just pray that, Lord, we understand we need to get involved in ministry. We need to find these spiritual parents who can teach us and train us, and we need to learn how to take up our cross each and every day and follow you and not make life about us, but make it about the things that you would have us do. And so right now, we just want to thank you, um, God, just for the love that you have, the love of your son, that he would go to that cross, that he would take our sin upon him. And Father, for those of us that have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, that we say we believe in him, And God, we are obedient to his word. We've made him not only our savior, but our Lord. God, we have the promise, the hope of eternal life. And so let us focus on that now as we enter this communion time. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.